And now we move forward into our third week of Advent. And that's what these candles represent. Sarah will explain how all that works. Why don't we welcome Sarah? Hello. Happy third week of Advent. So we're going to start our official celebration of the third week of Advent by lighting our candles. So far, we have been lighting the first candle, which signifies our waiting. Last week, we added the second candle, which signified preparing. And today, we get to light the third one, the pink one, signifying... Uh Oh, Oh dear. It was so nice and dramatic. (laughs) Signifying our trusting. So during this time, we've been listening to stories from the Bible. We've heard stories from people in our community. And we've taken time for prayer and reflection. So here we are. In the third week of Advent, looking at the theme of trusting. Here's story number one for our third week, the story of Mary, taken from the first chapter of Luke, verses 5 through 45. This story takes place during the time of Elizabeth's pregnancy. There was a girl living in Israel in a town called Nazareth. Her name was Mary. Mary was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. And Joseph was from the family of David. One day, God sent the angel Gabriel to Mary with a message. Hello, God's beloved. God is with you, greeted the angel. Mary was perplexed. She wondered why the angel greeted her this way. Then the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for God loves you and is always for you. You will become pregnant and give birth to a boy. His name will be Jesus. Jesus will be great and will be called the Son of God. God will make him the forever king and his kingdom will never end. Mary asked, uh, how can this be since I'm not married? The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come to you and God's glory will be shown. So the child to be born will be from heaven. Your, your relative, Elizabeth, is also going to have her very first child. Although she is very old, She is now six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible with God. Mary listened and trusted and responded by saying, Here I am, the servant of God. Let it be as you say. I trust in God's plan. Then the angel left her. Soon afterward, she went to visit Elizabeth. And when Mary walked into the house and greeted Elizabeth, the baby inside of Elizabeth jumped with joy. Elizabeth, too, was filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. She praised God for the child that Mary would have. 
Mary was also moved by the Holy Spirit and praised God. A beautiful song came out of her because her heart was full of thanksgiving and trust in God's goodness. Mary spent three months with Elizabeth, and during that time they encouraged and took care of each other. Then Mary returned home. So now we're going to take a time for reflection, a time to pause and be still and to think about the story. We have a few questions that would help you reflect. What is the most surprising part of the story I just read for you and why? Take a few moments and Caroline will come up to continue our time together. Good morning. I'm Caroline, one of the pastors at the river. Welcome. Great to see you guys. So we are in the season of Advent, um, the period of four weeks before Christmas set apart for waiting and preparing. This year, we are spending the Advent season reflecting on the stories of Christmas and how it might relate to us in our lives now. We're going through the four themes, um, like Sarah talked about, waiting, preparing, trusting, and following. So on the first Sunday of Advent, we talked about waiting and reflected on the question, what am I waiting for in my own life? The second Sunday, which was last Sunday, the theme was preparing Uh, We reflected on what does it mean for me to prepare for what I am waiting for, even as I wait in uncertainty. What does that look like? Today, we reflect on the theme, trusting, with this famous story of Annunciation, where Mary is, is visited by an angel with the news of her pregnancy. Wouldn't that be a wild experience to be told by somebody else that you're pregnant? In the story Sarah read, you might have noticed that Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I am not married? When the original version is since I am a virgin. And this is because the story is modified for children. Um, You can imagine how the original Virgin would invite a lot of questions at the at the river kids and possibly and most definitely derail the discussion there, take the attention away from the meaning of the story. So we've slightly changed it. The point of Mary's virginity is not the virginity itself, it's Jesus' paternity. Mary's virginity is only important because it points us to Jesus' direct connection to God, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was born of a woman, but is the son of God, not the son of Joseph. But perhaps this word virgin is not just distracting to the children, but to all of us. Because it feels like we've made the virginity 
a virtue in and of itself. Virginity has become Mary's defining characteristic in our collective Christian imagination. It's come to symbolize her innocence and purity. So, for example, the painting that we've just seen while the story was being read, it's beautiful Chinese reimagination of the story, Annunciation. Um, there's a lot of, you know, um, cultural Chinese references to it. It's interesting how angel is not male, which is often the case in Western painting. Um, but even in Korea, where I grew up, always the angels in fairy tales were female. Anyway, um, one thing that it has in common with a lot of Western um, paintings of this story is the white lilies that the angel is presenting to Mary. The white lilies, is, uh, it is the symbol of innocence and purity. Um, and we might as well have turned Mary herself into white lilies, it feels like to me, because like the white lily, we imagine her to be beautiful, blameless, quiet, and perfectly obedient. She's like a perfect flower. Nowhere in the Bible is Mary described as beautiful, but we're convinced that she is. We imagine her to be innocent and pure because all virgins are, right? She's never crossed into the forbidden. She is without blemish. She's so pure that she's perfectly obedient and selfless without any regards to her own desires or well-being. She's a saint. She has a halo, after all. This portrayal of Mary is harmful, in my opinion, in at least a few ways. It reinforces the subtle and toxic message that Women are virtuous only when they are beautiful and with no sexuality. And never mind that Mary had other children after Jesus. We conveniently forget about that. But it also separates Mary from us. Immaculate conception, Virgin Mary, Mother of God. She's so perfect and different from us that she might as well be a virtually inhuman We can't relate to her. She's become someone we can worship and admire, maybe, but not necessarily to learn from. But really, is that really who Mary is or who we want to see in her? Because a close reading paints a different picture. First of all, she thinks She ponders and asks questions. She has the presence of mind to ask the angel a biology question. How can this be when I'm a virgin? She, uh, when the angel told her about her relative Elizabeth, who was pregnant in her old age, she gets up right away and travels far to the hill country to visit her. She has to investigate and see it for herself. 
Then she spends time with Elizabeth, taking care of each other, building each other up. To me, she comes across as an independent and active woman, very different from someone who is quiet and perfect like a flower. As a woman in a marrying age, she must have been taught all the cultural do's and don'ts. She knew what was expected of her as a young woman in this culture. She knew the lines that she could not cross. Definitely that getting pregnant before marriage could mean death by stoning. Yet, when the angel brings the news and explains it to her, she says, here am I. Let it be with me according to your word. She consents to this plan. She's choosing this for herself. She's not a bystander in this event without a choice or a voice. And I can just imagine her parents, if they knew, going, are you mad? It's too risky. It's not respectable. Because she steps far outside of the society's norm and the expectation of what she can and cannot be. She steps far outside of what it means to be and what it looks like to be innocent and blameless. And she's not so pure and selfless like a flower either. After meeting Elizabeth, she sings, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done a great things for me. And holy is his name. She's saying God has finally seen me. I will be called blessed. Not a picture of someone so pure and innocent that the thought of self never crossed her mind. Mary fully understands the implications of the angel's news and what this means for her. She sees the gravity and the significance of this calling offered to her. She's invited to something great, so much bigger than herself. She knows it fully. So she decides to break out of the social norms, family expectations, and the rules, and chooses something that's going to bring her suffering, but also greatness for herself. Can you relate to this? She is not so different from us. What is remarkable about her isn't that she is so perfect, but that in choosing for herself, she surrenders to God's plan. She says, let it be with me according to your words. Not because she doesn't matter, but because she matters greatly. This is not what she imagined her life to be, not what she planned, but in this critical moment, she trusts God 
and chooses for God's story over her own. She becomes part of God's story instead of insisting that God becomes part of her story, which we do very often. That is a model. This is a model of faith for us. Trusting in God is choosing to be part of God's story. Not only because it's just simply a better story, a bigger story, but also because in the end, it is the only story that will truly fulfill who we are and our stories. And Mary praises God for the story that he is writing and inviting her into. She sees how big and radical God's story is. She sees how it includes everyone. She sings, he has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. What an amazing proclamation with such authority. She isn't as quiet as we imagined her to be. She's proclaiming Emmanuel, God, who is with us. Mary is not some otherworldly, pure person that is so different from us. But someone who is a lot like us, with self-interest, a desire for good life, who became part of God's story. And she asks us today, will you? Will you be part of God's story instead of telling God to be part of your story? Before we take some time to reflect on this question, I've invited two people to share their journeys journeys toward trusting God. Um, I've invited Joshua and Melinda. I feel both of their stories show this movement toward choosing God's story. So please welcome Joshua first. This is an unexpected moment. <laughs> and I, I often cry during holy moments, so um, that's what's happening. <laughs> I learned that from my mother. In response to Caroline's invitation, I've been reflecting on trust in my life. I grew up in a family environment where knowing God was real in our lives. Throughout my childhood and teen years, I felt a sense of purpose and calling to become a minister in the church. Well, that came to a screeching halt when I unequivocally recognized I was homosexual in my first year of college at a Christian college. My response was to cry to God, to heal me so I could fulfill his call on my life.
I reached the point of giving up. In that moment, I heard God's voice say, you haven't considered that I'm okay with that. Imbued in that comment, I knew God was okay. I didn't need to be fixed or changed. My prayer was answered completely differently than I expected. That interaction activated a trust dynamic in my life. I knew I didn't need others to decide whether I was okay or not. I knew unwaveringly I was completely okay. What came next was unexpected. My whole world life view, like a snow globe, was shattered. I didn't feel called to take on church systems or theology. Rather, God said, go live your life. I didn't have a clue what that meant. (laughs) I felt like I'd been set free and derailed and not able to get back on track. That incredible activation of trust has strengthened and softened me. I have sensed God in situations and relationships I would never have recognized before. My life is completely different from any envisioning I've had from early in my life or along the way. Movement in my life has been guided by hearing, sensing God's Spirit saying yes within me. Once moving or moved comes daily living in circumstances which are challenging or puzzling, often both. I have and can get so caught up in those circumstances that I wonder, what is my life all about? My sense of being is stabilized by having encounters with God and people and places which are filled with the presence of God and God's love which affirm I am in the right place, at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people. At times, God has given me visions of what might well be, which seem very eminent in the moment. I've experienced that the visioning is often years to come. When I come to points of distress and fearfulness, God shows up in some loving way, either internally or externally, reminding me to trust His, Her presence in me and the circumstances of my life. Trusting God's Word and presence has expanded my heart and enriched my life. I have experienced trusting God as in a, rela- a relational adventure. For a long time, I asked God to help me find a career or a job, my definition of getting on track, for which I had a passion like I did earlier in my life. That didn't happen, hasn't happened. Rather, the Spirit invited me to focus on living in relationship with him, her, trusting that she would take care of the details of my life. So, she showed up via a postcard about the river. 
I never expected to participate in a church again. But when when Don and I showed up here, I felt her presence in you, the river, similarly to the way I feel her living in me. Being here refreshes and encourages me, nurturing trust in me, enabling me to wait for the big asks in my life right now. Thank you for being here and embracing me with her presence in you. you know anyway so I'm Melinda and I have a confession to make to you all I'm in my 30s and I've never had a long-term romantic relationship I feel like that sounds like a line out of one of those romantic comedies and the friend of the protagonist says you're in your 30s you never had a long-term relationship And me, the star of my own movie, (laughs) answers reluctantly, no. And unfortunately for the star, she has an opinionated, disapproving father whose biological clock is ticking with dreams of grandchildren as soon as possible. But overall, I feel like this whole man issue has created a sense of me not really knowing where my life is going because um, growing up in Haiti and not being exposed to many adult women who were voluntarily single, I always believed that women were not fully women until they were married. And even though I know that in the eyes of my culture, and maybe even in you guys' eyes, I appear to be developmentally delayed, but if I'm honest, sometimes I wonder if I am too. Since I've been single for this long, though, I also worry that if a guy would stick around, Maybe then my life's direction that I'm not really sure where it's going would suddenly be hijacked by this other person's direction, and and that doesn't necessarily feel good to me either. Nonetheless, I thought I was doing well in terms of becoming a person who could potentially be attractive to a partner. I've maintained employment. (laughs) I'm fairly intelligent. You know, I'm cute. (laughs) But last year, I developed what I considered to be baggage. I was diagnosed with a grade one benign meningioma that was putting life-threatening pressure on my brainstem, a brain tumor. And after several brain surgeries and a few months of rehab, I can say that although it is growing back now, For the time being, it's not killing me. I have many years before it gets to the size that it was last year, and my doctors and I have plans for me to undergo um, radiation treatments um, to keep it from continuing to grow. But now I feel like I have something to disclose to maybe like the man of my dreams. (laughs) The radiation treatments that I must undergo um, may cause some complications with my health, and vitality, 
um, which could potentially affect or delay my childbearing potential. <laughs> I sound like I'm selling a cow or something. <laughs> like, um, so with no partner and a brain tumor, I don't really have a five-year plan. I don't even really have a two-year plan. Because while I'm trying to live my life with as many dreams as possible, I feel like I have to hold them really lightly or allow them to be really flexible at this time since I can't really say how things are going to go in the years ahead. These uncertainties with my health and relationship potential have resulted in very interesting conversations with God lately. So God keeps wanting me to dream and not treat my life like I have some illness, whether it be singleness or this tumor. And God feels super confident about me and wants me to feel the same. But something about his words don't really uh, sit well with me. They don't feel like good enough to me. And, it was, and there was always this like low hum under the surface that kept me from really um, believing what God was saying to me. And it wasn't until very recently that I realized that that thing that I kept fighting back with everything inside of me is fear. Growing up in Haiti, fear was not something that I was raised to accept or even acknowledge. Fearfulness equaled faithlessness. And when I think on it now, it made sense. We couldn't be paralyzed by fear. We had to act. Friends and peers would be fleeing the country for whatever the political insecurity reason of the day was. But my dad would wake up and keep moving, and he taught us to do the same. So I'm a fighter. I treat every obstacle like it's a battle that we need to fight. I remember when I learned of the brain tumor, I immediately went into fight mode like that and calling down legions of angels to come and protect me with every single brain surgery, and then turning my ICU room into like a prayer war room. I remember the nurses were like, you have people in there all the time. I was like, yeah, we need to pray. <laughs> and I keep pushing through the dating app after dating app, date after date, <laughs> you know, trying to meet my match. <laughs> but when I think of what trusting God would look like in the midst of that, God tells me, I don't need to fight my fears at all. God is all right with them sitting in the room and us all having a cup of tea. And as I learned to embrace the truth that, yes, I am scared to death sometimes, I see Jesus allowing me to realize that being afraid doesn't mean I don't have faith. I see Jesus wanting to be compassionate to me and my fears, inviting me to trust that he can handle all of me, my fright and my fears. I see Jesus laying underneath this big blue dresser that I have in my apartment, inviting me to crawl under there whenever I'm scared that, hey, I may be single forever or that this tumor may be here longer than anybody wants and hide in his arms while he covers me, and I only need to come out when I'm ready. While I've been praying, there's this song that Holy Spirit's been bringing back to my memory from when I was a kid. It's called, 
you are my hiding place. And so I wanted to share a little bit of it with you guys. <clears throat> you are my hiding place. You always fill my heart with songs of deliverance. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. I will trust in you. Let the weak say I am strong in the strength of the Lord. I will trust in you. Thank you. Thank you both for sharing so deeply. Sometimes our life doesn't go the way we plan all the time. Doors close, we get sidetracked, we change our minds, unexpected things happen, sometimes tragedies strike. But even in that uncertainty and darkness, God is with us. Remember in this season, Emmanuel, God who is with us. And I believe that God is always opening paths for us to step into God's story and continue on. Trusting that in the end, we will be guided to where we're supposed to be. So as we wrap up today, let's take a few minutes to reflect on these questions for ourselves. In your area of waiting, what would it look like for you to trust more? What would it look like for you to choose for God's story? We'll take a few minutes. Um, there is the insert um, on Advent in your program at the back of it, if, if you would like, you could write down your responses. So sp let's spend some time with God. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your invitation into the story that you're writing, that you are inviting all of us to be part of it. Help us to be honest and open with you, with your spirit in this space. I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that our hearts would speak to you and speak to ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.